Welcome to The Art of Intimate Marriage with Dr. Jennifer Conzin. Sensitive yet frank advice for enjoying every benefit of one of God's most fundamental gifts. Dr. Conzin is a licensed marriage and family counselor, sex therapist, as well as an adjunct professor, award-winning researcher, author, and speaker. With today's conversation on the biblical approach to fulfilling intimacy in marriage, here's Jennifer. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. Jennifer Conzin with The Art of Intimate Marriage. And we've been spending the last several broadcasts answering questions that people have about sexuality. And so far, we've been focusing on questions that single people have, single, campus, and teens. We're going to actually continue that today. And in future broadcasts, we're going to spend time answering questions that married couples ask. However, even though these are questions that singles, campus, and teens ask, let me tell you, these are very similar to to the questions that married couples ask. So the answers are quite applicable to everyone. And if you're married and you have kids, you might find this useful for them. This is The Art of Intimate Marriage. That is the name of this broadcast. We are addressing some of the issues along sexuality for those who are not married although the answers do apply to all usually. So we're going to continue along that line, and I'm literally going to read to you some of the questions that get asked when I speak at different conferences and different workshops. Young, single, older, single people write out these questions, and I took some time. You can read them in more detail in Redeemed Sexuality, but we're going to take some time to just share some answers to those today. So let's start off with this one. This is an individual who asked, since sexuality is beautiful and a God-made phenomenon, and it's to be enjoyed in marriage, how, as a single individual, can I be pure while still having a healthy spiritual view of sexuality and not feel like I'm trying to suppress or kill my sexuality? What a great question. Now, if, if this is one that you have, I'm, there are parts of this question that are thoroughly answered in previous broadcasts. So you can go back to, this is part four, and there is a part one, two, and three, and you can go and listen to those. I'm specifically going to address the last part of this question. How do I have a healthy spiritual view and not feel like I have to suppress or kill my sexuality? The reality is many, the, many of those who are single do wonder how can they hold to the righteous requirements of the Bible and yet not be smushing down their sexuality? And I tell them, well, good luck with that, because <laughs> that means you'd actually have to die. <laughs> you are a sexual person. And so if you're going to try to squish and suppress your sexuality, that's just not going to happen. Most of the time, though, what people mean is that they want to figure out how to embrace their sexuality as a gift from God and not necessarily act on it at this time in their lives. And so there, again, our previous broadcast to answer that part, but I do want to make a, a strong statement here that, first of all, God does call sexuality a gift, and we are called to steward it well, just like any other gift, whether it's money or some talent you've been given by God, you are called to be a good steward 
of it. So it's not a suppression. It's not a squish it down. It's not a kill it. (laughs) It's actually a steward it. Use it well. You are a sexual person. So this is how I'd recommend you seeing it. Rather than suppressing or killing it, remember, God made you and he made you a steward of your body and of your sexuality. One day, God might choose to give you someone to live out that stewardship with them together, live out your sexuality together. And that might be a beautiful opportunity to use that gift as giving to a spouse, a gift of joy given to your spouse. So how are you stewarding it? That might be a different take on it than suppressing or killing it. Okay, here's another question. Since masturbation and pornography are quite rampant for brothers, how do we really overcome it? Now, this answer is not going to include how to overcome it, because that is in previous broadcasts. We have whole saved broadcasts on the art of intimate marriage where you can look at how do you overcome both sexual addiction and how do you overcome masturbation and pornography. However, I want to address one thing with this question. Since masturbation and pornography are quite rampant for brothers, we have to recognize that masturbation and pornography are not just rampant for brothers. They are happening for a lot of women, for actually a vast majority of women. Women also struggle with sexual feelings. Women also struggle with masturbation. Women often struggle, also struggle with pornography and lust. And so it's vital that we get away from thinking that these kinds of struggles are just a guy thing. Yes, it's definitely, research shows that it's definitely higher for men how much they struggle for these things. It's a much higher percentage. For women, it's about, in general, most studies will be around the area of about 30% where they'll struggle with pornography and masturbation. For men, it's more like 90%. However, we need to remember as a spiritual family that women also need support. They also need accountability. They also need direction just like our men do. So go listen to the previous broadcasts on overcoming these challenges. But remember, it is not just a male thing help our sisters out as well. We need to make sure that the women in our congregations are talking openly about this. We have support groups. We have purity support groups for men, but it is rare for a church to have a purity support group for women. And we need to start them. Let me tell you, if we did, we'd have a lot more victory sexually for our sisters and for our brothers. So Churches, go ahead, set them up. There's somebody in your congregation, she's just not talking to you about it, that would love to be a part of something like that. All right, here's another question. I know the Bible teaches that we're not supposed to have sex until we are married. I did, though, and I still feel guilty in God. What should I do? I really appreciate this question. I think this is something that many people feel, and they feel it when they're single, the guilt, they feel it when they're married. I work with married couples a lot um, and working on their sexual relationship. They come in to see me professionally as a therapist and past sexual relationships and the guilt associated with them affects them even during their marital relationships. So how does somebody deal with guilt? Well, it is important to understand that guilt is a natural good response. It is a part of seeing our sin before God. God does call us to feel guilt. God um, uses 
Well, Paul uses a really great description of that in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 10, where he talks about godly sorrow, that we are to have concern and longing and have an earnestness and an eagerness to see justice done. He talks about what godly sorrow looks like. We are supposed to have a good, healthy kind of guilt and godly sorrow towards our sin. In fact, actually, it It's amazing, even in the world of psychology, the word shame, you'll hear from many therapists and from many speakers and in many books and from many psychologists and therapists that we're not supposed to feel shame, that we shouldn't feel ashamed. Well, the Bible actually doesn't say that. It clearly teaches that we're supposed to feel shame. In Jeremiah 6.15, he actually tells them that they're not, he, he talks about how you're not even blushing when you look at your sin and that that's a problem, that we are supposed to feel shame, but there's a good kind of shame and a not so kind of good shame. And Paul does a great job of explaining that. He talks about worldly sorrow versus godly sorrow. God does want us to feel sorrow, but he wants that sorrow to lead us towards change, not towards a negative view of self. And I'm a horrible person and I can't ever be forgiven. Actually, the when you look at how God deals with sin in the Bible, the strongest words that are used about sin in the Bible are about pride. <laughs> it's not about sexual sin. When you look at how Jesus interacted with women caught in sexual sin, he was incredibly loving and patient and forgiving and non-condemning. So sin, sexual sin is sin. Pride is sin. We all sin and we're all called to feel guilt about our sins so that that shame and that godly sorrow leads to change and leads to repentance. We are called also by God to rejoice in his grace and to relish his forgiveness every morning. Psalms is full of that. In fact, when we repent, the scriptures tell that our sins are wiped out, right? And that we can experience times of refreshing. Go look at Acts chapter 3, verse 19. He says, repent and turn to God so that times of refreshing may come to you. So God does. And if you are not experiencing times of refreshing, you know, it may be that you're holding on to guilt about sin that God has wiped out. It may be that there's some repentance that needs to occur in your life. It may be that you actually need to examine the character of God and who he is and how he responds to sin. So there may be several different things you need to work on in understanding how God views sin and how God wipes it out and how we need to relish his forgiveness and we need to be refreshed. You know, The challenge, though, is that with sexual sin in particular, the level of guilt for most is higher. There's a higher level of shame attached with sexual sin. And this is not, like I said, the view that God has. When you see Jesus, when he's with the woman who had five husbands, and when you see him with the woman caught in adultery, so this is in John 4 and John 8, When they express their sorrow about their sin, he actually holds them up as great examples. That's in Luke 7, in in verses 44 through 50. He says they are a great example. So if you've repented of your sexual sin, you need to go and experience Jesus like he was in John 7, excuse me, John 4, and John 8, and Luke 7. You may need to 
reevaluate God's understanding and God's heart towards sexual sin. He does hate sin. And he did tell the woman caught in adultery to leave her life of sin. And then he holds up a prostitute as an example for everyone to follow because she loved him so much so that she wept at his feet. That's in Luke 7. He told her to go in peace. So that might be you. You might need to weep at his feet and wash his feet with your hair and then hear him say to you, what a great example you are and that he wants you to go in peace. His forgiveness should lead us to peace. He, again, Jesus shares his sharpest rebuke for the religiously prideful. He shows his greatest compassion to those who have sexually sinned. I think we should imitate him. So take some time to meditate on those scriptures. That can be a really helpful guide to helping you understand God's heart towards you. Okay, let's look at another question. Oh, you're going to love this one. Yes, single people ask these questions. And so I'm just going to tell you ahead of time before I even say it, you're going to be like, what? But yes, people who are not married have the same questions. This is one that a single person asked, what are the Christian biblical guidelines for BDSM? Well, first of all, some of you are going, what's BDSM? Well, that's a good question. I hope you don't know the answer to it. (laughs) So it's about bondage and sexual masochism. That is what BDSM is. And those of you who are familiar with popular movies out there today or to popular books out there today would be familiar with Fifty Shades of Grey. So if you want to know what BDSM is, you don't need to go read it. But that is what Fifty Shades of Grey is about. And let me tell you, it's not just married people reading those books. Many, many single individuals have read those books. Many married women, married men, yes, even men have read those books. And so, yes, single people ask these questions. Yes, married individuals ask these questions. And I don't want to put any more pictures in your mind. You don't need to go watch that movie. You don't need to go read those books. However, it is important to understand that people are asking, should we do those things sexually? Should we use bondage? Should we use pain, the infliction of pain? Should we involve ourselves? So there are There are whole groups out there that teach the appropriate use of BDSM. They call it um, groups supporting the kink lifestyle. Don't go look that up. I'm just telling you it's out there. And I usually recommend to people, if you want to figure out what you should include in your sexual relationship, because I do get asked this, singles ask it, is it okay for married people to tie each other up? Putting any kind of bondage on somebody's wrists and and connecting them to the bedpost, all of that. Is that okay? Well, I tell couples I'm not going to answer that for you. (laughs) Wow, aren't I helpful? I give them what I call the what's allowed list. And so it gives them an opportunity to examine the questions they have together as a couple and decide, do we want to include this in our relationship? And so on this list is eight different questions. I'll just tell you what they are. One is, is it prohibited by scripture? Another is, is it beneficial and constructive? Is it beneficial to the relationship? Are you speaking, are you seeking your spouse's good? Number three is, does it involve anyone else? Number four is, what is the fruit? When you put it into practice, does it create intimate connection and is it in any way detrimental? Number five is, is it contaminated by the pollution of the world? Or is it something that Satan's contaminated and it just needs to be reclaimed? 
Number six is, is it pleasing to your spouse? Number seven is, does it violate you or your spouse's conscience? And number eight is, if you do engage in it, is it, if you choose not to engage in it, are you just restraining and controlling something in a God-given manner? Or are you possibly just following a human teaching that is a self-imposed false restriction. Okay, what are all those questions about? Well, next to all of those questions, I give scriptures. So you can look this up on my website. You can look it up in both my books, uh, Redeemed Sexuality and the Art of Intimate Marriage. In there, you actually have the whole thing laid out with the scriptures. And so I tell couples, go ask each question and then look at the scriptures for that question, and then ask yourselves, should we include this in our sexual repertoire? So that can be, do we include any kind of bondage? Do we wear um, outfits? Do we use lubricant? Do we use a vibrator? Do we engage in oral sex or anal sex? Do we include any kind of self-touch when we're involved sexually? So you can go look those up. What's allowed? Go use those questions. Go on my website. Go buy the book. You'll find it more there. I help couples in the process of answering that question for themselves. Okay, here's another question, and I really appreciate this one. Is it normal to get wet from kissing and making out? Kissing and making out can definitely get the juices flowing. So let's answer that very briefly. Yes, when people kiss and make out, it can cause blood flow to increase to the penis and to the, the vulva, and it can increase the amount of lubrication coming from the vagina. And it can cause a flow into your underwear. It can cause a wetness in that area. And it will tell you that you are sexually aroused. And so you may want to consider whether you continue engaging in with each other in that way. You may need to go, oh, wow, I just kissed my spouse. It was just a simple kiss on the lips. And I had this full-blown sexual response. Does that mean we should no longer kiss? Well, it may be that you're just not used to kissing and you need to be okay with kissing. So that would be reclaiming it as a good thing, even though you're not married, that, oh, gosh, I just had a rather sexual response to that. But it may be also that you're engaging in certain things that are causing a high level of sexual response that might then make it difficult to remain within the boundaries that you have set in your dating relationship. So it's not really about is it normal, which is the question, is it normal to get wet when you kiss and make out? It's more about is it best? Like, should we continue engaging in this kind of making out if it's causing this kind of a sexual response? So really the terms like petting or making out or heavy kissing, they can all awaken and arouse love in a time before it should. So that's out of Song of Songs, chapter two, verse seven. So you may want to consider, check out whether you are maintaining the boundaries you want, whether you're maintaining purity as you want. You can actually go and read chapters 9 and 12 out of our book, Redeem Sexuality, on Save Yourself to determine if you want to continue that level of physical intimacy before you get married. So we do have some other questions we're going to answer, but I want to take a moment just to explain what you're listening to here. This is a weekly broadcast that is podcasted and recorded on my website. You can go listen to previous broadcasts on the Art of Intimate Marriage. 
You can also find links there on that website to our books on that are sold on Amazon. That's The Art of Intimate Marriage and Redeemed Sexuality and our cards, the Intimate Marriage cards. You can actually leave questions there too that will get sent to me and I can answer them for you. Or you can read the blog there. There's also a link there for any kind of contribution you want to make. This is a listener-supported ministry. If you want to support that and go on there on the website, you are welcome to. Okay. We are going to also talk about some other questions that singles and teens and campus students have. What's another one? Since sexual arousal is a natural reaction, what can someone who is single do to pacify themselves? (laughs) You know... In the previous broadcast, and even somewhat in this one, I've actually answered part of that already, so I'm not going to cover the part about how to respond to sexual arousal, but I do want to answer the part about pacifying yourselves, the need to pacify the self. Sometimes when someone is asking whether there is some kind of sexual outlet that's appropriate, the answer to that would be going to orgasm when you have sexual arousal, orgasm, the place for that is within the marital relationship. And so pacifying yourself to sexual arousal and to orgasm wouldn't be within God's plan. So most of the time, though, what people really want to know is how to calm that need, how to pacify that need, how to calm the desire for a sexual release. And so, again, the first thing I always recommend is accept the bodily response. When you're feeling that natural arousal, first accept it. And sometimes you need to check on whether you've been acting on it and you need to make a plan on how you want to act on it, how I don't want to pursue it to orgasm. So what am I going to do now? But it also is an opportunity to consider that there might be some other needs, that arousal, that sexual arousal, you may have been in a pattern of meeting that need by acting out sexually But that might be that there's something else going on. The desire for sexual release may be pointing you towards something else that you're needing. You may need some rest. You may need some relaxation. You may need to find some relief from stress. And you've been going down the path of sexual release to get that relief from stress. And you may need to find some new ways to cope with stress. You may need to go do something entertaining. You may need to go meet with a friend and have a good talk. You may need to go for a long walk on the beach. So there may be that that sexual arousal is pointing you towards that there's a need that you have that's not actually a sexual need. You may need to go do something fun with a friend. So check those kinds of things out. What you need to pacify may not be the need for sex, but it might be the need for recreation, the need for fun, the need for affectionate connection. So go pacify that and then accept your body as it is, the sexual response that you have. Okay, here's another question that someone asked. How can dating couples be intimate physically, but still stay within healthy boundaries? It feels taboo to even talk about it. And should dating couples kiss? I've covered this a bit in previous broadcasts. We did a whole previous broadcast on Save Yourself, so go listen to that. But one of the things that we have noticed is that it's really difficult to people for people to feel like they can talk about their temptations. So I really appreciate this person bringing up, you know, it's hard to talk about. It feels like it's a taboo. We really need to make sure that within our family of churches that we are not 
keeping it taboo, that we are providing an atmosphere in which single people, dating individuals can ask their questions without fear of being condemned or laughed at or being told you shouldn't be asking that. Okay, so how would it look if you did ask that question? Well, if someone asked you that question, what would you do? And I would recommend listen, listen some more, ask them some questions, not like interrogating them. How dare you do that? Or how could you have gotten yourself into that situation? Not, not those kinds of questions, but ask about the kind of things that will help you understand what's happening for them and how they feel about it. I love Proverbs chapter 20 that says, the purposes of a man's heart are deep waters and a man or woman of understanding draws them out. So if someone does come to you with their questions, take some time to draw them out, explore their doubts, point them to the scriptures, but above all, listen to them. So how would you answer somebody? And how would I answer somebody who's single or a teen and asking about should they kiss? You know, the reality is, take time to explore what they're hearing and thinking and what they're considering. And then what kind of advice should you give them? Make sure to pray before you answer them. Make sure to pray before you give them advice. Pray that God will give you understanding for what they're struggling with and give you wisdom. Pray for humility. And then when you're the person asking the question, pray for humility and pray for a surrendered heart. Make sure that if you have, you know, if the reality is if you have any feelings about it, you may have a hard time listening to the answer that you get. It's not really about whether kissing is right or wrong. I think that's really dependent on the person. There are people that decide to wait to kiss until they get married, to have their first kiss on their at their wedding. That is actually what my husband and I did. Should everybody do that? No, there's no reason that everybody does that. That's what we decided to do. We led a ministry, a singles ministry in which there was just really rampant sexual sin going on. And my husband was active sexually before he became a Christian. And so between those two things, we decided to wait and to not kiss until we got married. Is it wrong to kiss? No, not in and of itself, not in and of itself. But if you have a question about that, go ask it, go make sure you talk to somebody that's safe and explore all the different reasons why it may or may not be a good thing for you and for your circumstance. Yeah. And then make sure you're humble when you ask it. So we have a bunch of other questions. We're going to do those in future episodes just to give you kind of a taste. We are going to cover both questions for singles and marrieds in future broadcasts. So tune in. This is Dr. Jennifer Conson with The Art of Intimate Marriage. Thank you for joining us for The Art of Intimate Marriage. Now, let's be real. This is not a typical radio program, and we know it generates questions. If you have one you'd like Dr. Conson to address here on air, email her at jenniferconson at yahoo.com. Conson is spelled K-O-N-Z-E-N, jenniferconson at yahoo.com. We hope today's program was beneficial to you. And if you agree this unique voice should be on the air, your donations will help keep it there. To give or to get more information about the ministry, Dr. Kanzen's Center for Sexuality in San Diego, or to get more resources for improving intimacy in marriage, visit us on the web at theartofintimatemarriage.com. And for more on experiencing the marriage God designed, join us this same time next week for The Art of Intimate Marriage.